Last week, we started this series called Things I Wish You Knew About God. And as a pastor, we speak in sermon series. We speak, hopefully, uh, in sermon content that is encouraging to you and also, uh, hopefully, sort of revealing to you. Hopefully, it opens up new things that you say, oh, I never thought of it that way or I never looked at it like that. And um, for me, you know, we have different creative ways that we do it, but there's some ways that I wish I could literally, like with our kids, where we just get our kids and we just, and, and trust me, I'm not like being crazy, but you know, you get your kids and you're just like, you want to shake them. Like, ah, I just wish that you knew, right? I just wish that you would get this. I just wish that you would, ah, and, uh, and obviously like, I'm not condoning shaking your kids, obviously, but I'm just saying we can all relate to that idea. Like, ah, I love you so much that I wish that you would just get this already. I wish that you would just get this. And, um, I see that a lot in topics of church and in Christian content. There's so many misconceptions about God or ways that we were maybe brought up in religious ways that, <coughs> excuse me, hold us back. And I just sometimes as a pastor wish I could just grab people and go like, I just wish that you knew this about God. I wish that you could understand this or stop thinking this way about this because it's holding you back or it's holding you down. I wish that you would get this. And so that's what I'm sort of hoping this series is. It's sort of me going like, man, I just really wish that the church of God and vertical church and in my life, I just wish that we would get this. And so last week we talked about how I wish that you would just get that God is so for you. He's so for you. He's crazy about you. And unfortunately, a lot of times in the way we're brought up or the way religious circles talk or different things, we have this idea that God is this angry lightning bolt throwing God and he's not for you and he wants to get you. And that's just not the case. God is so for you. So if you missed that week, jump back online and check it out. But this week, if I could say the one thing that I want you to know is that God has incredible plans to prosper you. God has great plans to prosper you. Like if I could just take people and be like, I wish you could see how much God wants you to prosper and win. It really goes a lot with last week. Like God wants you to win. Uh, I said it last week, you know, God wants us to do so much winning. We're going to be sick of winning. Amen. And it's the same thing in our finances. God wants you to prosper so much. He wants everything that your hand is put to, to prosper. God doesn't want to see you suffer. God doesn't want to see you lack. God wants to see you taken care of. And some Christian circles have actually taught this teaching that, well, you know, we should be poor and we should be whatever. And then God will get the, no, God has great plans to prosper you. Literally, when you think about when God put order into place, he literally thought about all of you and said, oh yeah, finances, they're going to need to be taken care of. So I'm going to put some laws and principles and structures in place that if they do these things, they'll prosper and they'll be taken care of. And they won't have to have the burden and the pressure of handling their own future and securities and resources. Literally, God is like, hey, why don't, we, why don't you let me take the stress and pressure of finances if you follow these things? Amen. Maybe some of you, you know, you used to not be somebody who trusted God with your finances. And you were always trying to figure it out on your own and figure it out on your own. And then the day that you started following what the Bible says about resources, you said, oh, I'm so glad I started listening to about what the word says about giving and about my resources because all that pressure, all that burden of my resources is off me now. Because why? Because God promises and even says in scripture, hey, test me in this. Test my way in this and see that I'm going to throw open windows of heaven and take care of you in a very prosperous way. Amen. God wants us taken care of. He has great plans to prosper you. Sir John talks about how it says uh, that the prayer for our lives is that we prosper even as our soul prospers. So it's one thing to grow in God and grow in righteousness and grow in understanding, but God also wants you to grow in prosperity. 
And now I realize that there's a lot of circles that have really ruined the message of prosperity and God taking care of us. They've gotten over here and they've made it all about prosperity and, and luxury and lavishness uh, and extravagance. Uh, I believe that God's design for his people is for us to have excellence. We don't chase extravagance. We chase we, we pursue God, and he creates excellence in our life. Why is, excellence, why is excellence important? It's important because if we live in an excellent manner, we'll have influence in our culture, and we can say, hey, what you ought to do is this, because, and we'll sort of have the, the proof in our life. Why does that matter? Look, all throughout Scripture, God raised up kings and leaders and people with excellence, and the culture looked to them for influence because there was excellence in their life. You know, and, and so many times in Christian culture, we go, well, you know, I, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, this, that, or prosperity, or excellence, or all this kind of stuff. I just love the Lord. Well, you can have both. You can love the Lord and be taken care of and be prosperous. Amen? God desires that we prosper as our soul prospers in him. Amen? <clears throat> if you look at the Old Testament, very in the, in the very beginning, God sets up structure with, with Abraham and different people, and he says, listen... As I'm setting order, I'm literally making sure that you people, my people, God's people who my commands are taken care of. Literally, you can see that some of God's people all throughout Scripture are the wealthiest people of their time. Why? Because they followed the commands and they followed the obedience of what God says about resources. And then you would say, well, you know, that's real easy. You know, God set up Abraham and he blessed him, whatever. But many of those stories start where God says, hey, I'm going to bless you. Go into the wilderness or go into the famine or go into a place where there isn't great blessing. We always pray like, oh, God, I wish that you would just help me win the lotto. And then God's like, well, why don't you actually go over to that dying business and trust me and that I can use you to help you restore that, right? God's always looking for our heart and our trust. He's not going to just back up the money truck to us. God wants to use us in a way that he blesses us. Amen? God, he said about Abraham, the reason that you're blessed is to be a blessing. We are funnels of God's blessing. When God gives to us, it's so that we can give to others. He literally says about Abraham, you're blessed to be a blessing. But what we have to understand and comprehend about money when we talk about the things of God and our resources is every time your money is involved with God, it's a multiplication, not a subtraction. Uh, I have an Excel sheet that we do our, our finances on. And every month, we put in all of our bills. And so the power bill, and so, you know, the thing, and, and uh, you know, every month, I have to have, go have a talk with my wife. It's like, Jessica, we should not have a $4,000 gas bill. How long are your showers? You know, <laughs> like, uh, and so I'm just kidding. But, but every time I'm doing my line items, you know what happens to me in the natural? You go through all that and you watch it and it starts up here and you get down to the bottom of the Excel sheet and it's a lot different than what it was at the top, right? You start up here and you feel good. Man, I feel good. I feel good. And you get down to the bottom and you're like, whoa, that, that changed quick. <laughs> but that's not the way it is in God's kingdom. You know, in our carnal world, we come in and we say, oh, I'm, I'm putting that down. I'm, I'm giving that. I'm, I'm paying that. I'm giving that. And in our mind, we can add up a subtraction. But when you walk into the house of God or when you walk into something that God has called you to be generous in, you're not walking in and putting a minus. You get to take that thing and walk in and put a multiplication next to it. 
There's an X that happens to every amount that you give to the kingdom of God. Literally, when you walk in here with your resources or whatever you walk into to give and trust God with, you're coming in here and you're laying down a multiplication sign. You're saying, God, I'm trusting you with this. And he promises that he's going to do more with it. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. I'd be excited that every time we come in, our mindset should be, oh man, I'm so excited that I get to trust God and see him do something with this. Amen. Uh, we've heard this scripture used a lot. Uh, Malachi chapter three, verse eight. It's a real famous scripture. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have I robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. And so we've heard, if you've been in church any number of time, we've heard people say, don't rob God by holding back your tithe. You're robbing God. You're taking from God. But I could actually argue this morning that the, the, the basis, what this could be saying is this. God has set up laws and principles that he wants to bless you. And when you trust God in your giving and you give your tithe, you give your 10% or you give above that or whatever you give, when you give that, you give God the opportunity to bless you. When you don't give that, what you're robbing God of is the opportunity to bless you. Amen? God doesn't need our money. It's not like we're taking money from God. But what you're doing is you're taking the opportunity. You're robbing God the opportunity of getting involved in your finances and taking care of you. Amen? And so for me, I'm excited that we get to come in and we get to give. I'm excited that we get to come in and lay that multiplication down and see what God does with it. And then give him the opportunity to take care of me. Amen? Uh, you know, you hear it all the time. This is actually the first time we've talked on giving. Uh, every week we do a giving uh, scripture at the tithe part, but this is the first time we've talked about money since our Blessed Life series in October, so almost a year. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, every time we talk about money, you know, people get real tense. Oh, all the church wants is your money, and all the church wants is your money. And uh, you hear all the different things. You know, money, I don't know why the church wants money, because you know, doesn't the church know that money is the root of all evil? Why would the church want money? And uh, it's the love of money. You all know that. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. God doesn't want your money. The church doesn't want your money. I don't want your money. What we want, what God wants, is our hearts. He wants our hearts in it. Uh, it's simple tasks of trusting God. It's what God wants to get involved in. He's saying, don't rob me of the opportunity to be a part of your resources and your finances. Let me take that burden from you. Amen? So money is not <coughs> the root of all evil. We see it in 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we've seen that. But if I were to pull all of us in here, myself included, and I were to say, how many of you in here, you love money? You're, it's the root of all evil. You love money. Most of us in here wouldn't raise our hand. Yeah, I'm a lover of money. I just love money. Most of us wouldn't. But like anything else in culture, uh, it creeps in a way that we don't understand it or that we don't see it. Uh, the enemy, the scripture said, he's like a thief. He's like, he's real divisive. He's real good at disguising himself. And so if we were to say, oh, who's a lover of money? Oh, I'm not a lover of money. But if I were in here and say, hey, uh, <coughs> who in here could use some more money? Who in here wants some more money? You know, we'd all be like, yeah, I definitely need some more money. Who in here thinks life would get a little bit better if you had some more money? We'd all be like, yeah, I, I think life would be a little bit better if I had a little bit more money. And then the scripture goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So if we were to poll most people and say, hey, do you love money? No, I, I'm not a lover of money. But who in here wants some more money? Oh, I, I, I take some more money. Or think about it this way. How many of you in your life have ever done this? If we ever just made this much money, we'd be happy. I mean, if we could ever just get to that, then we'd be satisfied. 
then we'd be content if we ever got to that. And then when you got to that, what's the first thing you did? If we could get to this, then we'd really be set and happy. And if we, and then you get to that and you go, but you know what, really, now that we're here, it would be better if we changed this and got to this. Those who love money never have enough and are never satisfied with their income. I've done this. Oh, if we get to here, if we get to here, if we get to here, we've all done that. I think all of us, if we were honest, would say, yes, there's parts of our heart in our life where we love money. We'd love to have a little bit more. We'd love to get to the next tier. We'd love to get to the next, amen? And so it's something we have to guard against in our life. How do we make sure that we aren't a lover of money chasing money? Well, the scripture talks about it in 1 Timothy 6, 6, verse through 7, uh, 6 through 7. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. Godliness with being content is great gain. Apostle Paul here is saying great gain in your life, greatness in your life is to be a person of godliness and contentment, being content. Uh, There's a story of this old man and uh, he was going to take his money to heaven. And so he was close to dying. And so he kept gathering up suitcases of his money and he would put it in the attic and his wife would say, why are you putting all that money in the attic? Excuse me. And she would say, uh, he would say, because on my way up, I'm taking that money with me. You know, on my way up, I'm going to take that money with me. And so sure enough, he passes away and the wife goes up to the attic and the money is still there. And she says, that old fool, I told him to put it in the basement so he could take it on his way down. (laughs) Told him to take that money. You can't take it with you. You can't take your money with you. I actually think that's a design of God, that our stuff doesn't go with us. Why? Because what God wants us to do is to maximize what we have here. And does that mean spend it, spend it and leave nothing for generations? No, because God's called generational blessing. He blesses generations. Your kids, your kids' kids, when you apply these godly principles to your life, he blesses for generations. But God's design, just like the, the, when he says, oh, you wicked and lazy servant, you've done nothing with what I gave you. It's because God wants us to be a people who maximize our resources among what God has put in our life. Amen? So, but godliness without contentment is great gain, or with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. And he goes on to say, but if we have food and clothing... We will be content with that. The richest are not those who have the most. It's those who need the least. The richest people in life that I connect with and that I know of aren't the people who have the most. It's those people who have that godliness and that content in their life. Content with what I have. It doesn't mean we, trust, we don't trust God for more and pursue more. We just say, God, I realize this is not forever for me. Everything that I have is a blessing, and I'm content with what I have, trusting you for what you want to give me more. Amen? Uh, I was in Africa when I was 18, and it's what you would think about Africa. Uh, it's mud huts, and you had to walk through these trails through the jungle. I mean, literally, you're walking. And I remember we were walking up to this church that we were going to go minister to, and you just heard like this stadium noise of singing, just the most insane amount of singing. And I thought, oh my gosh, I started to get nervous because we were going to minister there. And I thought, I can't, this is going to be a huge crowd. I can't believe I'm going to have to get up in front of this many people. Their singing is so amazing. 
And they were singing, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So I'm, we're walking down this path. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a ton of people. I'm getting nervous. And we get in there, and there was about 40 people. But it sounded like 40,000 people with the joy and the singing and the dancing that this African tribe was doing. They were rich. They were rich. And they walked for miles to be there, and they barely had clothes on their back, but they understood what it was to be saved and to be in relationship with God. They had godliness, and they were content. Amen? Discontentment makes rich people poor. Contentment makes poor people rich. Those, uh, in 1 Timothy 6, 9, it goes on to say, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Those who want to get rich or look rich or appear rich or keep up with the Joneses, those kinds of people who just pursue that kind of lifestyle of stuff fall into temptation in a trap that leads them to foolishness and harmful desires. How many know that's what the enemy is constantly putting on us? Every single marketing piece says it like this. Oh, if you don't have this, how could you even live? Have you not yet seen the movie of the year? Do you not have this? Do you not? Da, da, da. Look at your car ads. Are you in an old da-da-da-da-da? Turn it in now and get the da-da-da-da-da. Everything in marketing is telling us what you have is not good enough. It's a great scheme of the enemy. And then Paul's over here saying, hey, listen, if we have food and clothes on our back, we're rich. Amen? I thought about it like this. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. When we keep the God stuff first, it is God who then steps in and gives us the ability to produce wealth. Having money isn't bad, but loving money is one of the most dangerous things I can imagine. How many of you have seen families destroyed over money? How many of you have ever seen lives destroyed over the pressure of debt? They've gone years and generations of not being free because of pressures of debt. Why? Because loving money and loving things is one of the most dangerous ways that you can live. <clears throat> Check this out. If you drove here in a car, which this is really funny that I'm preaching this because we sold our van uh, this week. And so my wife doesn't have a car. She had to get picked up by uh, her mom, my mother-in-law. <laughs> and so this stat is really funny because I'm going to say, if you have a car, you're in the top 9%. And then the pastor's wife is hitching a ride this morning. <laughs> That's not funny to you. I think it's funny. I left her. I just left I my car. I got my car. It's because I get here early, you guys. Jeez. Somebody's got to make your coffee. God knows you couldn't come to church without coffee, John. People just walk right back out. <laughs> You're not laughing very much because it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop there before I get in trouble. 9% of the world, if you have a car, if you drive a car, if you have a car, 9%, you're in the top 9% of people in the world. If you have a car, and here's what's interesting about your car is most of you will get in your car and you will drive home. And most of you will drive your car to your car's home. Your car has a home. It's a garage and it has electricity running in it. Some of you may even have running water in it, but you're going to take your car in the top 9% and you're going to drive it home to its home and you're going to get out of your car 
and you're going to go into your climate-controlled home. Think about that. You control the weather in your home with a button. Like, that's how rich you are. You go into your house, and you control the weather with a button. And, of course, your husband and what? You're going to argue about what the temperature should be and all of your rich. Okay, someone's going to want the windows open. Someone's gonna, okay, but you're going to go in there, and then you're going to go to your closet because God knows on a Sunday the first thing you have to do is get out of church clothes. Amen. Uh, what you may do before you even go home is you may get in that car and drive around town and argue about which restaurant you want to eat at. You're going to drive around town and you're going to say no, 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 no. And you're going to say no and maybe even complain about all these restaurants that you have food access to when you look around most of the world for somebody to just drive up and have food served to them is a rarity. But anyway, you'll get home and you'll go to your closet, which for some of you, you walk into. For others of you, maybe you have a couple layers, uh, maybe a top rack, a low rack. You have dressers to keep all different types of things in. And probably before you came here today, you ran your fingers all along those things and looked at it all and put a step back and said, oh, I have nothing to wear. And you have rooms built for all the clothes that you have called your closet. And then after that, you'll put some scrubby clothes on. You put your football watching clothes and you're going to take your channel and you're going to turn on the TV and you're going to have hundreds of channels, most of us, which probably you're going to flip through and say, oh, there's nothing to watch. And you'll flip over to Netflix, which has thousands of titles on it. And you'll say, oh, there's nothing to watch. Well, you have $100 of technology in your pocket, in your phone, in your thing, and you're going to spend your afternoon, maybe a lot of us, saying, uh, this or that. Or you're going to say, uh, I'm so busy. I can't believe it's Monday tomorrow. I'm so discontent with all of the richness and blessings that I have in my life. Right? Godliness and content is gain. It's the way God designed us to live. Hey, everything we have is a blessing. Everything I have in my life is such a blessing. I need to live content with that. Amen? So how do we live this out? I'll close with this. How do we live it out? The scripture goes on, <coughs> excuse me, in Timothy to say this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to live a joy-filled life. God wants you to have cable TV. God wants you to drive a nice car. God wants you to be taken care of. But before that, he wants you to live a life that's not arrogant about how you're doing it and what you're producing. He wants you to live in a life of trust with him. He says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything. The trouble with finances is a lot of times we think money is gonna give us what only God can give us. We want money because we think it's going to make us happy. We want money because we think it's going to make us secure. And we want money because we think it's going to make us significant in some way. But those are the only things. God is the only person who can give you those things. You see rich people who aren't happy, who don't have security, who don't live in any kind of significance. They go to their grave saying, I've done nothing with my life but gather money. Don't let money be the replacement for what God wants to be in your life. If all we do is pursue and chase money, it doesn't help us when we need healing. 
It doesn't help us when the kids are going crazy. It doesn't help us when we have all of these things. But a relationship and being content with who God is in our life covers all those areas. Amen. And he goes on to say this in Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of this life that is truly life. So it's saying, do this. This is what you do. This is how you stay free from the love of money. This is how you live a content life. Be somebody who does good and gives generously and is rich in good deeds. Use your money to meet the needs of people. And the blessing in that is that you also store up rewards and treasure in heaven. It's always amazing to me as a pastor, when I see somebody do this. You know, there's a lot of really neat things we see. Uh, we see people serving kids, which is my favorite thing. <clears throat> Just meeting the needs of kids, excuse me. All the different things that happens in church. But one of the most amazing things for me, because I realized the, how hard it is, is when I see people trust God with their resources. One time a year, one, for one month, in the month of December, we do a thing called a legacy offering. We pick a thing that we're going to give to outside of our church. So it's never for a salary. It's never for anything that goes to like in-house. It's always to another way that we can expand and reach more people. And last year, our goal was to raise like $30,000. And in our first week, almost our first week, we had three people give $10,000 checks. Now, obviously, as a pastor, you'd think I'd be like, whoo, we got, you know, three $10,000 checks. This is amazing. But every time... I see that check or that number or I looked at, I thought, oh my God, like this is a big deal here now for this, these people in this scenario, but think about what God's going to do for them in eternity. All the blessings now here, they're going to gain those here, but also in heaven, like the scripture is saying here, the treasures that are being stored up. But then I'm always just super overwhelmed because I think, oh my gosh, you know, this laid down as a multiplier. Like, do these people understand what God's going to step in and do for them with, with this? Amen. Thank you. But I, every time I think about living out this, it overwhelms me in a way because of the God that I know. If we're a people that do this, that we do good and we're rich in good deeds and we're generous and we share, not only does God take care of you in heaven, obviously, but here on earth, he just takes that multiplier and he's like, oh man, Let's do this thing. Let's, you're blessed to be a blessing, amen? And so uh, I thought about it like this. I always think about this when I see you know, things like that. And we raised an amazing amount of money and, and we did awesome things this year with that. Um, some of you are a result of those gifts, you know, mailers that went out and different lives that were changed. But I thought about it like this. The scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave. You are never more like God than when you give. In your life, you are never more like God than when you're a person who gives. I'm not talking just about tithing. Tithing is important. What God calls you to do is important. I'm talking about a people that meet the need. Amen? That's why the scripture says it's better to give than receive. Well, how do we do it? You trust, like Proverbs 3, 5 says, you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, you acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's how we live out our finances. Trusting the Lord with all of our heart, even on the times that we don't understand it, and we acknowledge him in his ways and he directs your path. Meaning he says, that's gonna be the way that you be successful. Go that way. Amen? 
I love this thought. Uh, Pastor Robert Morris says this at Gateway Church in Texas. God can do more with your 90% than what you could do with if you kept your 100%. When we hold back a tithe or when we hold back our resource, you're limiting. You're like what we talked about earlier. We're robbing God of the opportunity to do amazing things. God can do more with your 90% than what we can do on our own with our 100. Amen. I want to really encourage you and we'll pray before we leave. Man, one thing that I wish that we would all really know about God, and I grow in this every day. I'm right with you. Money is a hard thing to trust God. Because like, does God, do you have Excel in heaven? Can you do online banking? Do you see, do you see this? I mean, my wife goes to Starbucks a lot, God. I don't know if you're, <laughs> but I'm being light just because I get it. I want you to know I get it. I'm not a pastor up here trying to shake anybody down or manipulate anything, but I am somebody just like with our kids. It blesses us so much when we see our kids prefer others. We try not to do sugar. And so this week uh, I came up the stairs and I caught my daughter sharing. She like went out of her way to get something for her brother. What did I do? I went over to that candy closet Eat freely of anything in this. Let me throw open the windows of sugar for you and pour you out a blessing because you blessed me because you have somebody else in mind. You, amen? That's God. Hey, when we meet the needs of others and we trust him in our resources, he literally says that. I will throw open the heavens of blessing over your life. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for who you are in our life. God, we want to be a people who live in righteousness and content with all that you've blessed us in. God, we know that everything good and perfect comes from you. Lord, we're grateful for everything in our life. We say thank you for the positions that you've put us in. And God, we just, we say, pull us into places that we can trust you more. God, we don't want to be lovers of money. God, we want to be a people who trust you and put others first. Lord, we want to sow in good deeds in our communities. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.